everyone. Welcome to Money Life. This is Sucheta Dilal. Today, we're going to talk about the bankruptcy code and something that I have discovered to my horror, which is how even creditors are gaming the system to get an advantage. There may be many reasons why they want to do this. Sometimes it's collusive. Sometimes it is to give them a future advantage. So this time, I have the story of Mercator Petroleum Limited. It's a small company. In fact, a 100% subsidiary of Mercator Limited, which was India's second largest shipping company, which is also under insolvency and bankruptcy proceedings. What makes the story interesting? By and large, such a tiny company, Mercator Petroleum, would not even have merited a discussion. But it is a kind of malpractices by the creditors that makes this a story. Now, professionals who deal with the resolution process have constantly been telling us about how it is gamed. And every time somebody opens their mouth, speaks out about it, not only is that resolution professional, remember, this is the person who is supposed to take charge, run the company, ensure that the assets come in. He becomes the most powerful person, but he is talking to the committee of creditors. Who are the committee of creditors? These are the lenders who have secured loans. Usually it is banks and sometimes it's people like, say, UTI Capital, in this case, with two of its funds. So their money is secured as compared to operational creditors who may be suppliers of equipment who also owe money. They may be owed a rent, they may be owed for their services, but they have nothing to pin that. So usually they end up being losers in a bankruptcy. Now. We've been hearing from resolution professionals, I'm going to keep calling them RPs, about a series of practices. A lot of times RPs are also, remember, hand in glove with company promoters as well as creditors. But when they want to do a good job, people don't like it. So they're often removed. They're not removed just from that company, but nobody wants them anymore. Remember, it's the same set of 20 banks. The number of bankrupt companies is in thousands. and it's so easy to ostracize a person. So people talk in whispers, never come out with information. The Supreme Court has made the creditors even more powerful because there's a Supreme Court judgment, which gives primacy to what is called the commercial judgment of the COC, which is Committee of Creditors. What is the commercial judgment? The assumption of the Supreme Court was that since these lenders have the most at stake and they have assets or collateral to back their lending, they would be most interested in extracting the maximum from this company and get the best possible returns. In life, it doesn't work that way. Now, what we find is that creditors want to be the most powerful on this committee of creditors because whoever has the maximum lending actually ought to be looked at with suspicion why were you lending so foolishly for so long? But in fact, they become the most powerful people on the committee of creditors. So creditors, we are told, do all kinds of things, back, allow backdated agreements, bring in all kinds of agreements and guarantees, often on a nominal 100 rupee stamp paper, which they claim gives them rights because it's a guarantee. Now, sometimes just a 100 rupee stamp paper, which means it's inadequately stamped. So. There is a judgment of 15th November 2019 in the SR case where the Supreme Court has refused to accept documents which are incorrectly stamped and said no post facto trying to pay the stamp duty and making a wrong thing okay. So it has disallowed. 
goes on rampantly. It's never going to be stopped because no one looks at it unless the resolution professional objects and disallows it, right? All this kind of skullduggery has the tacit approval, like I said, of the creditors because they are the ones who ought to be looking at it. A second trick is to claim extortionate interest on unsecured short-term loans. This also is disallowed. There are laws about extortionate interest. In fact, there is a case before the NCLT, this was Shinhan Bank, where the NCLT termed as extortionate, a kind of penal interest. So this company had not repaid loans. In time, they rolled it over and extended it at a humongous rate of 33 to 5% per month, which works out to a huge double-digit number on an annual basis. The NCLT had termed this illegal and void. Has that stopped this kind of trick? Apparently not. Third trick, inflate claims. Similarly, interest on interest, start compounding it. Even here, the Supreme Court had ruled that from 1st March to 31st December 2020, when there was a nationwide lockdown for COVID, you could not do it. Did it stop? No. Continues. Yet another trick is to induce pliant RPs to give a clean chit in writing to absolve malpractices. So it's all cleaned up, brushed under the carpet, because nobody else is looking at it. RP is a powerful person. If the creditors turn a blind eye and the promoter is also part of it and has some benefits, then nothing happens. Such dubious actions is leading to a growing number of cases where lenders have written off. As you know, we've all been outraged. 80 to 97% of outstanding corporate dues. And where is the commercial judgment? We don't know, but they get away with it. These write-offs, remember, why does this concern you and me? Because these write-offs are eventually covered with public money which is doled out by the finance ministry, budget after budget, from the exchequer in the form of, form of bank bailouts. We have repeatedly said the maximum number of such cases pertain to public sector banks. They are not doing enough to recover the money and they are not being careful. You can call it behest lending. You can say pressure from politicians, but they're not careful even while lending and even less while recovering. Now, like I said, all these things remain hidden until a case like Mercator Petroleum comes up. I'm going to start calling it MPL now. MPL is under insolvency from 31st August 2020. It stands out because the RP in this case has written a letter. First of all, he has not allowed malpractices. And then he has gone after the lender, which is the lead in the COC, which is UTI Capital Limited, through two debt funds. Okay. I'm not going to name the debt funds because it's not relevant. Let's keep talking about UTI Capital. This is a lead lender. It is shown to have a 66% stake among all the creditors in the COC. So it takes the lead. UTI Capital, as most people may know, is a subsidiary of the UTI Asset Management Company, which is and is the investment manager for alternate investment funds. Now, on 27th October, Satish Kumar Gupta, the RP handling this, wrote a letter to the entire board of UTI Capital, Access Trustees. He marked the copy to the Securities and Exchange Board of India, the chairman of the IBC, and also secretaries, the Ministry of Finance, the Ministry of Corporate Affairs, and pointed out all the things that were going on in this company and how 
Incidentally, you must remember that UGI Capital is fully aware. They wanted this man, Mr. Gupta, removed for his effort and wanted him replaced with Amit Rastogi, which fortunately, Bank of Baroda, public sector bank, which accounts for over 31% of the outstanding, has protested, has been protesting, has filed a number of applications. We're showing you some uh, images over here about what they have done. So it's not smooth sailing for UTI, but so here's what they did. Like I said, Bank of Baroda has fortunately stopped the removal of Satish Gupta as the RP, but the fight continues and he has written to UTI outlining in great detail all the things that they have done wrong to inflate their own claims. Bank of Baroda, like I said, is cognizant, is, has taken cognizance of this and has gone before NCLT and objected to it. Let me list what they have done. So Mr. Gupta's letter, which I have a copy of, says UTI capital dues increased exorbitantly from 212.88 crores to 257.84 crores in the just five months from 31st March to 31st August. What does this show? A calculation would show that this is a monthly interest of 4.22% or 50.68% on an annual basis. I've already told you such extortionate interest is illegal and not allowed to be charged. UTI Capital's claim is apparently based on a corporate guarantee issued by MPL against non-convertible debentures issued by the parent. So the parent, which is under insolvency, you choose NCDs. Guarantee is given by a petroleum subsidiary and UTI wants to claim on it. The NCDs had a 12% interest. The penal interest in this case, when they couldn't pay, was an extortionate 2.5% per month, which compounds to 34.48 per annum. I've already told you this is disallowed. Now, the RP has provided details to show that the norm of penal interest charged, not on a monthly basis, by no stretch, as he calls it, can be as high as 2.5 compounded monthly. And he cited, you know, Supreme Court decisions, one in the case of Central Bank versus Ravindra and others. This particular judgment that he cites has said penal interest can be charged only once for one period of default and cannot therefore be permitted to be capitalized as opposed to the liability to pay interest. So liability to pay interest is different. It's founded on the doctrine of compensation, but compounding and penal interest or interest on interest cannot be capitalized, which is what UTI has done. The RP alleges that UTI Capital has not provided statements of accounts, while what its working file showed was part period of dues has done this compounding with penal interest and is a violation. UTI Capital, he says, also charged penal interest in that period where there was a national lockdown and the Supreme Court says you cannot harass companies. If they had to close business for no fault of theirs, you can't charge interest. They've gone ahead and added that. Now, the RP has another Supreme Court order where he says they cannot secure their own dues. Any lenders and the COC cannot secure their own dues at the cost statutory dues owed to any government authority. Not going into detail, but in this case, when the credit, secured creditors walk away with most of the money, the loser is going to be the director of hydrocarbons, which 
is a statutory authority under the Ministry of Petroleum. Now, the RP goes on to flag other issues pertaining to MPL's parent Mercator. This has been used by fudging the dates. Mercator apparently repaid 10.17 crore to UTI Capital on 20th July. This was not revealed to any of the creditors, including secured creditors. Bank of Baroda has objected to. Next, the RP has gone into statutory disclosures of the parent, which is a listed company, to the Bombay Stock Exchange to dig up all kinds of information. So one of these is that on 13 December 2019, it showed Mercator owed 195.89 crore to UTI Capital, of which 126.45 crore was a principal. Soon after, a second disclosure says it now owed 1.99.45 crore to UTI Capital, but UTI has claimed a much higher number. I cited this number earlier. UTI says its outstanding is 212.88 crore. What is this based on? On an email by an assistant general manager of Mercator dated 23rd April 2020. Now the RP says, how can an email have greater sanctity than the disclosures that the board has approved and are made to the stock exchange under SEBI rules? Hence the letter to SEBI. UTI's capital's inflated claims have not been made long ago. They were made as recently as last month, 14th October 2022. And this is what has given it a 66% on the committee of creditors and allowed it to call the shots. Now, why all this effort? Why is it doing this? Amazingly, what the RP tells us is that it also wants to invest in the restructured company. So it's on the side as a creditor. When the company is cleaned up and all this is written off, it also wants to invest in Mercator Petroleum as the restructured entity. In doing all this, don't you think there should be any checks and balances? Well, Access Trustee Company was supposed to do the checks, but the RPA has written to Access Trust Trustee Company saying, didn't bother to do anything and just sent out a notice to the defaulter. No questions about why penal interest was charged, why things were backdated. In fact, that's another claim that there has to be a period of 330 days before you start charging penal interest and note the date of default. This also has been backdated so that higher claims, higher interest, higher compounding can be done. So the litany of charges about inflated claims written in that letter. And naturally, I wrote to UTI Capital and asked them what you have to say. And UTI has flatly denied it. I'm going to read at the end what UTI has said. But we asked them for a written explanation. They wanted to discuss it. I said, there is a point-by-point -point letter. Give me a reply. I have one paragraph, which I'm faithfully going to reproduce. I've put it in my article, and I'm going to read it out to you a little later. Like I said, lots of proofs have been asked. It's irrelevant to go into detail, but what the RP says is that you're going to play both sides. You're going to claim as a lender, going to be part of inflated claims, and you're going to buy. I need statutory documents, exact date of default with proof, interest charge, books from the auditors. Nothing is forthcoming is what he says. He's tried, written repeated letters and he says, 
that UGI won't answer, but they didn't answer us also. Bank of Baroda is before the NCLT. Hopefully, they will get better answers. Now, what did UTI say in response? UTI's response was this. A letter written by Arpi Gupta, dated 27-10-22, is in fact a reaction by the RP to an interlocutory application dated 25-10-22, filed by us in NCLT Mumbai, requesting inter alia an IBBI investigation into the conduct of the RP. The letter dated 27-10-22, which I'm alluding to, along with other similar letters, remember the RPSN I've written repeatedly, have also been brought by us to the attention of the NCLT and IBBI. The fact, of course, is very different from what is portrayed in the letter. Facts. Okay. Now, remember, I'm showing you a bunch of filings by Bank of Baroda. Bank of Baroda is not an RP. It is one of India's leading banks. It has also backed the RP, supported him, saying he's doing the right job. And in fact, there before the NCLT saying that because the RP is not dancing to the tune of UTI capital, they want him removed. And they too are asking about the inflated claims. Why is all this relevant and important to us? Remember, this money goes out of the exchequer. If the bankruptcy law doesn't work, it is our money. We repeatedly say it's our taxes. And this is not about taxpayers who pay direct taxes. You buy a packet of glucose biscuits, the lowest person with no money, near starvation, buys that packet, he's paying tax. So what we require is the RP has written to the regulators, the government and the IBBI. UTI says they want an investigation. Let them, let the regulators listen to both sides, investigate it. And don't stop at MPL. This is a tiny company. This multiplies with the larger ones. So you need to change the law. You need to fix the loopholes and you need to prevent this leakage of public funds. If you agree, please share this video. If you haven't subscribed to us, please do so. We bring enormous information, which is of interest to you as a citizen of India and to you as a person who invests. Thank you so much.